We've been talking about the glorified body. It's a real important understanding that I think every Christian should know and have in their heart that you are receiving a new outward man, a new glorified body. And the reason why it's such an important piece of the puzzle to being a Christian, you know, most of us, we got saved because someone told us if we asked Jesus in our heart that we wouldn't go to hell. For years, I thought I had a little Jesus running around in my heart. Little had a little bedroom in there and a little kitchen, and that Jesus lived in my heart. And, and as I've learned more and grown in knowledge and grown up, I've learned that I didn't receive a little Jesus in person, but his nature. And that opens the door, that understanding that I have a new nature, opens the door to the whole many questions of how does all this end? How does it work? How does God redeem us? And so many Christians are striving every day, seeking to win God's approval every single day out of fear that they're not good enough. They're striving every day to be as perfect as possible. And we all we all want to strive for holiness and we all want to strive for obedience. But there's a fear in so many believers that says, if you're not totally perfect, you're going to go to hell. So they're constantly in fear. I was one of them. And because someone taught me that if you if you have a bad moment and you don't repent and you die, you go to hell. And once I begin to learn about the whole process that God went through to redeem us, to rescue us out of the human race, and to bring us into a new family called the children of God, I lost that fear of Him abandoning me. I lost that fear of, not being good enough or perfect. Yes, it is possible to lose your salvation. And yes, we strive for holiness. We strive for obedience. We do our best. But there shouldn't be a fear that if you just miss one little thing, that it's over with. And I was repenting every day, twice a day, for sins I thought I did, sins I might have done, sins I might do, uh, just to cover every every aspect of my life. Because I was afraid. I thought I was under a covenant with God. But we're not under a covenant with God. We've been born again. We receive the new nature. And why this is such a critical or important part of the puzzle, the glorified body. Number one, it tells you that God's going to help finish you completely. That this life is just a short time of our existence. That we exist for eternity. Eternity is a long time. And that this short season of our existence, this first hundred years since we've been born kind of idea, it's the shortest part of our eternity. Eternity for us, we exist forever. That's why we want to go to heaven. But understanding that I'm receiving a new outward body, number one, helps me to see that God is with me from the moment I'm saved till the moment is completed. God is working on my behalf to help me to get there because that's his goal. His heart, above all things, is that we get to be with him in his family before we are finished on this earth. His goal is that everyone is born again. That's his heart. That's his desire. Knowing that we will receive a new outward body helps us to know that he is still with us, even in our struggles and our battles. He doesn't just stand on the side and tell us to get our act together that he's already worked out the finished product if we don't lose our course. So that's part of the importance of understanding that you have you are receiving 
a new glorified body at the sound of the trumpet. And we've been learning about how it, it all happens, and that helps us to see there's a reason behind everything God does. It's not just because he's trying to be mean or withhold anything. It's that he can only do what legally he's allowed to do. He's not allowed himself. He has boundaries that he lives by, standards that he lives by. And he can't break those boundaries. He can't intercept your life and make you be who he wants you to be. You have to come with him. You have to choose to follow him. While I'm talking here, you can turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. The other part of learning that we're receiving a new glorified body that's important is that it helps you to also see that you don't have it yet. That you're still wearing the old body that was birthed from the seed of Adam. So you're wearing a body, an outward man, a mortal body that is still of this earth, is still of the family of Adam, is still of darkness. And I pray that as you see this, you start to realize that's not who you are. You're responsible for what you do in it, what you let it do, and how it leads you. But eventually it's going to be replaced with a new outward body. And that means that that's the reason you're left with it now. That's the source of your battle, the source of your struggles. So many believers spend their whole life appeasing the desires and deeds of their outward mortal body and don't even realize it. And there's so much more available for us in this world as a Christian. There's so much more available for all of us believers, for the church as a whole, that we're not walking in. And I think that religion has snuck in and, and robbed us from seeing the full potential. I mean, sometimes we talk about it, but... We really want to walk in it for our sake, for our family's sake, for the sake of the gospel. We need some people to walk in the fullness of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest your sorrow as others who have no hope For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with us those who sleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So the comfort he's bringing is an understanding that the people who fell asleep after Jesus was glorified. So he's talking about in this dispensation, from Jesus until the trumpet. That don't be sorrowful for those who fall asleep. That's important. Many Christians, and and I understand, there's a natural grief and a natural sorrow when someone you love passes away. But here he's trying to bring a comfort because they have no hope that maybe they even believe that they passed away before Jesus came, they're not going to make it to eternity But also in that, that when someone leaves you on this earth, it's only for a short season. You know, when someone passes away on this earth, if it's someone you love, you feel the the grief and the sorrow and you're going to miss them. But it's only for a short season. I know it seems like a long time on this world, but for them in heaven, you think about it. There's people who passed away. For them, it's just like a minute or two or an hour or two that you'll be there with them. It may be 50 years on this side, 
But for them, it's just an hour. You're coming right behind them in, through the door into heaven. It's not, eternity's a long time. My favorite story of eternity was the one preacher, and uh, it almost got me saved again. He said, eternity is forever. How long is eternity? He said, if a, a dove were to pick up a tissue paper and fly over Mount Everest, and as it flew over Mount Everest, it touched the tip of the mountain with that tissue paper and then landed on the other side. And the next morning, that dove got up and picked up a, a Kleenex paper, a tissue paper, and flew over Mount Everest and just touched the tip of that mountain. He said, when it does that every day, when that dove has worn down Mount Everest by that tissue paper, all the way down to being a plain, no more a mountain, but a flat plain, he said, that's just one day in the day of eternity. And eternity is forever. And trust me, you want to be there in heaven for eternity. Because we're somewhere. Every child conceived lives forever for eternity. You either live with God in heaven and the new earth eventually, or you spend it in the lake of fire, in hell in the lake of fire. So praise God if you're born again, and, and thank God for the ministry we have to reach the world with the love of Christ, to help them understand that eternity is forever. Every person, every conceived, lives for eternity. There, you don't stop existing. And so when your natural body falls off of you or you step out of your mortal body, you're still there. You're still existing. And that's the comfort that Paul's bringing here in his doctrine, is teaching the process that God has implemented for us to all end up, every believer to end up in eternity with God, that we're not leaving anyone behind and they haven't left us behind. Verse 13 again, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. That tells you he's bringing hope when he's talking about the glorified body. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive will and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So the comfort is for those who are already passed in our dispensation. So not the ones before Jesus, the friends, the loved ones who have fallen asleep, who passed away. For this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this is where it can be confusing, because he says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the dead in Christ will rise first simply means here, not that they rise from the grave or from the earth, but they will come first. They will go first. So they will come forward first and receive their body first before you do. It's all in a moment. When the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ who rise first are coming from heaven. They're not coming from the ground. They're coming from heaven. Anyone who's passed away is either in two places. They're either in heaven or they're in hell. 
And it's interesting that the ones who spend eternity in hell never do receive a glorified body. The reason for a glorified body is for you and I to be able to run around the new earth and the new universe. And uh, and interesting here, it says that those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet them in the air, meet the Lord in the air. So this new outward body, it might be able to fly. We may be like Superman. You never know. But it says that we meet them in the air. So they're coming from heaven to us, and we are coming from earth to them. And in that moment of the trumpet, they receive their body, and then we receive our glorified body. The message of the glorified body needs to be part of the fullness of the gospel. Part of your understanding to know the fullness of the gospel, you must have this in your theology, your doctrine. It must be part of it, not just asking Jesus in your heart, but also receiving the glorified body. It is a part that brings hope and strength and comfort to know that God is walking with you every step of the way. And even in your battles, your struggles to be holy, your struggles to overcome desires and temptations of the flesh, there's a comfort to know that you're not going to always have that battle and that it's not you you're fighting against. It's the flesh. It's the outward man. Let's start here, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we'll always be with the Lord. There'll be no more thought for the rest of eternity, of struggle, of battle. And I love verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. So Paul's teaching here about the resurrection, about the glorified body, about the trumpet sounding, and the dead in Christ, those who are asleep, will rise first. They will receive their body first, and then us will meet them in the air, and we will receive our body that is comforting. That is strengthening. Now, I'm turning over to Romans chapter 8 because you're going to see all this teaching we've done in the last few teachings about the glorified body really is what Romans 8 is talking about. Romans 8 is a full picture of salvation. It's a beautiful full picture of salvation. And I want to go through it with you. And hopefully you'll see all that we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and all that we've been teaching about the resurrection and the glorified body. I'm praying that you'll be able to see all of that brought together in Romans chapter 8. And why it's so important is because without that understanding, many people have misinterpreted and misused uh, the verses out of Romans 8. And any time a verse is out of context or misused, it can sound okay and be okay what someone's saying. Uh, I've seen, I've been in services where, you know, as a, a teacher or a pastor, as someone who's learned a little bit in Scripture, when someone misuses a verse out of context, I always, first question is, now, is what they're saying okay? Because there's a lot of times that preachers will say the truth, but they'll use the wrong verse to prove their truth, even though what they said was true. So then you kind of dismiss that, because what they're saying is the truth. That's important. 
And even though they misuse the verse, you don't want to pick too much on that. But ultimately, you want the verse to be the meaning of the verse to bring the truth. So that's why it is important that we have the right verse used in context. Otherwise, that verse really loses its power. And so when we misuse a verse or misquote a verse or take it out of its context, the real power of that revelation of that verse is when it's in context. That's what brings changes in our life and in our doctrine. So Romans 8 is one that is very often used uh, well-meaningly and and many times while saying the truth about God and the truth about walking with God, a verse is thrown because it sounds right, but that verse isn't quite what it means. So we're going to go through Romans 8. And this is very important because when you see this in the fullness of his teaching, you see that Romans 8 is really talking about the whole process all the way from salvation through now where you have to struggle with and battle with the desires of your flesh. And it helps you to see that that is your battle, that you're not broken. It's your outward man, the mortal body. The mortal body isn't just your fingers and toes it's the, the natural part of the soul, mind and emotions and desires that was left over from the old man. And that's where your battle is every day. That's trying to lead you and direct you. And that battles in Romans 8 and also the new glorified body. Not just yours, but the saints before you, the ones before Jesus. It's all in Romans 8. And so I'm excited to go through this. But again, it's interesting that Paul, when he talks about the glorified body and the sound of the trumpet, that that's to bring hope and comfort to you, that you're receiving a new outward body. And the understanding that we all say, oh man, I just wish I could receive, why why do I have to wait, God? Why can't I just receive it now, get rid of all my struggles and battles? It's because he has to. Legally, he couldn't fix you, otherwise he would have. Let's just start in Romans 8. For time, we'll we'll jump down here to verse 8. Romans 8, verse 8. If you've been participating in the Transformation series, then this will all fit with what we've been talking about. Romans 8, verse 8. So therefore, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we've taught that that word flesh means that you have the old nature of Adam, that you're not born again. It doesn't mean if you have a fleshly day, a bad hair day, or you get angry during traffic hour. It means that you're not born again. So those who are not born again cannot please God. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. You can't please God. You're not going to please Him enough to go to heaven because you don't have His nature in you. But those who are, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, that Spirit is talking about your new nature. You no longer have the nature of sin, but you have the new nature. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, talking about the new nature. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So if you don't have the new nature, the Spirit of Christ, you're not his. What makes you Christ is not your good works. What makes you Christ is that you have his nature in you. You've been born again. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, if you have that new nature in you, the body is dead. Talking about the outward body. Because from here on out, he talks about the natural mortal body. So he's talking about first your new nature, 
Now he's talking about your mortal body. For Christ is in you, the body is left dead, left in darkness because of sin. It came from the nature of sin. It was not rescued at your salvation. You are stuck with it. It's going to age. It's going to try to take sickness. It's going to try to take sin. It's going to try to lead your life. It's going to try to tell you how to be happy. It's going to try to tell you how to serve God. It's going to try to tell you how to be successful. And this is the outward body that was left in darkness, left in death because of sin. But the spirit, now this word spirit is talking about your inner body. So the outward body was left in darkness, but the inner body is alive, is life because of righteousness. It's alive because of the new nature. Whenever you see the word righteousness or Christ in you or image or light, those are always talking about the new nature. The inner man, the inner body is alive, became alive, was quickened to life because of righteousness. Now verse 11 is talking about what we read in First Thessalonians is talking about First Corinthians 15, the moment of the trumpet. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the new nature, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life or quicken your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. So, verse 11 is talking about the sound of the trumpet. Because of the new nature in you, your outward body will be quickened to life. So whether you're on the earth, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a body or not. If you're in heaven or on the earth, the mortal body you're wearing will be quickened to life if you're wearing the body. But this from the new nature, the spirit which dwells in you. That word quicken, that word life there is instantaneous, quick, happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, will quickeneth your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. So that verse 11 is talking about that moment when we, we will receive a new outward body. Verse 12, Therefore, Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, meaning we're no longer at the mercy of an old nature of sin. Before you were saved, you had a nature of sin. You were a sinner. You had no choice. doesn't matter how much you tried. You were trapped in sin. But therefore, you no longer, because you've been born again, you're not a debtor to that because that nature of sin is no longer in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the old nature of sin, to live according to the flesh, because it's not there anymore. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That means that if you're not born again, you're going to die. There's no fluctuating of good flesh, bad flesh, good nature, bad nature. Many people confuse this word flesh for the outward body. But here he's distinctly used the word body in verse 10 instead of the word flesh. The word flesh here means your nature of sin. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, now he tells you, if by the Spirit you put to death, you mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. So now he's beginning to describe this body, that you no longer have a nature of sin. So quit blaming your struggle on the nature of sin. 
I asked a bunch of preachers one time, I said, why is it that Christians want to sin? They, all the preachers said, well, because it's the human nature. And I said, well, we no longer have a human nature. We have a nature of Christ. So here he's basically saying, quit blaming the nature of sin for your struggle, because that's not the source of your struggle. The source of your struggle is this outward body. And then if you put to death or mortify the deeds of the body, so this is Christian 101, that you are instantly in a battle the moment you're saved. Your inner man has been brought to life. Your outward man has been left in darkness. So now you have a trench warfare inside of you every day that you must battle against the desires, the deeds, the thoughts, the intents, the plans of the natural man, because God did not rescue you from the natural man. The natural body was left in darkness, left in death. So your job is to mortify, to put to death the desires of the natural body. How do I do that? Not by your willpower. You can't mortify flesh with the outward body with the outward man. You must do it by the Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So you now are led by your new nature. You are a son of God because you have a new nature in you. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So you didn't receive another bad nature. You received a new nature which allows you to cry out, Abba, Father. He is your Father. Verse 16 is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your new nature and your inner man that you are a child of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. So now's the suffering. There's that word that's missing from much of our Christian vocabulary. It's it's a very great faith word. I know it's not as glamorous as prosperity and success and health and and big ministry, but that word suffer is a great faith word that should be up there with it because it should be in our Christian language. If indeed we suffer with him, what is this suffering? Well, we went in that earlier that the suffering is the is you putting your nose against your outward man, your inner man, nose to nose and chin to chin to your outward man and saying, you don't tell me who I am anymore. That's the suffering, the daily suffering of not accepting the outward man's opinion about this world, about life, about you as yours, that you now are a new creature, a child of God. And you tell your body who you are, not the other way around. If indeed, verse 17, if children then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So again, this suffering is not sickness, it's not disease, it's not poverty. This suffering is every battle you make every day to say every morning, Father, my steps belong to you. My life belongs to you. Every day say, I'm going to pray in tongues and build up my inner man. To Every day say, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to read the word to build up my inner man. 
that suffering every day, to not allow your flesh to lead you when it tries to lead you into sin, but also into happiness, into success, that you drag your feet and say, no, you don't get to tell me who I am anymore. That's the suffering. And if you suffer right, you will find yourself mortifying the deeds of the flesh, winning, and eventually the glory that's going to be revealed in you. This glory is the new outward man. Nothing will be compared. All the battle you go through every day that you hate having to go through, the glory that you'll receive won't be compared. Nothing you fight with will compare to the glory be revealed in you. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to vanity or fatuity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So yes, you didn't willingly go into this battle with your flesh, with your outward body. It wasn't an option at salvation. You didn't get to check a box. I'm going to, I want in my salvation heaven, yes. Prosperity, yes. Healing, oh yes. Peace, yes. Joy, yes. Uh, I want all these things. Oh, uh, struggle, uh, no. Suffering, uh, eh. I, I don't want to check these boxes. I just Eternity with God, yes. Yeah, I want all those things, but I don't want the battle every day with my flesh, with my outward body. You didn't get to check that. Jesus checked it for you. said, here, let me check that for you. He's suffering, yes. This is part of being a Christian, is the everyday struggle against your natural man. Too many churches are preaching to the natural man instead of preaching how to overcome the natural man. Anyways, let's go on here. Verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So all of creation will eventually belong to God and his children. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So we've been adopted, and but we're waiting for the finished work of the adoption, which is that we receive our redemptive body, our, our glorious body, our glorified body, our eternal body, we are waiting for that. That's the finished work of the adoption. That's the seal that is complete when the trumpet sounds and we receive that new outward body. Until then, we on this earth, you have a battle every day. Who's going to rule your life, your outward man or your inward man? Your outward body or the Holy Spirit? For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. So this is the apology of God to you. All I can give you is hope that this fight won't be forever and hope that you can win even when you don't feel like it. God, I've been struggling with this insecurity. I've been struggling with pride. I've been struggling with fear. I've been struggling with anger. I've been struggling with lust. I've been struggling with all these things for years. When does it go away? Well, there's a hope that it can. If you build up the inner man... You'll be able to mortify the deeds of the outward man. That's the hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? So it's not done yet. I'm sorry. 
It's not done yet. That's God's apologizing to you for leaving you in this battle. For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it for wait for it with perseverance. So now it says we are eagerly waiting for it. So that means we are working towards the goal of walking like we have the new body before we get the new body. That means we take our our thoughts, our natural intellect, our natural emotions, the natural desires and ideas of success, even our dreams of success, and we make it bow its knee to who God says we are. This is a process. It's not instant. This is the walk of the Spirit. Then verse 26. Likewise the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, likewise the Holy Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here we see that the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside your spirit, this is talking really about the process of praying in tongues, that we groan, that we are not accepting our outward man as who we are. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps us through praying in tongues and prays for us and exposes the very root of why we are desiring to live against the will of God. And that's not always sin. Sometimes that is just success of the world over serving God at His will. That the Holy Spirit will help us and makes intercessions for us. So when you pray in tongues, that's the Holy Spirit praying the perfect will of God for your life and strengthening you and exposing eventually the root of what you're fighting so you can mortify it. Likewise, the Holy Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now I want to pause here because... We're still on the mortal body. All of this we've read from verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12, until now we're still talking about your mortal body that you're wearing and the struggle you have and how the Holy Spirit comes to help you to win that fight every day in the trenches against the mortal body that you're wearing. The mortal body isn't just the skin. It's the natural soul that's trying to tell you and will punish you sometimes with chemical emotions of defeat and discouragement if you don't give what give it what it wants and will reward you with chemical emotions of dopamine and, and happiness if you give in to it and do what it wants. That there the Holy Spirit will help you during this battle. This is important because we were still talking about the outward body. Verse twenty seven. Verse 26 and then 27. Likewise, the Holy Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So now it's telling you that everything you pray when you pray in tongues it is the will of God that he's making intercession through you for you and the reason why you have to say the prayer when you pray in tongues why doesn't the Holy Spirit just sit in heaven 
and just intercede for me and I, I'm already fixed? Why do I have to let him work through me? Why do I have to say the words when I pray in tongues? Because when I say the words, it carries the authority that I said it. The reason I don't know what I said is because he might be praying something I may not want right now. You know, Lord, thank you for strengthening me to kill my desire for this. And I think I don't want to kill that yet. That's why praying in tongues is so important and private. And so the intercession that the Holy Spirit does is through you. This is praying in tongues. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is or the will of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he's saying here that he, the Holy Spirit, through you, will pray for you according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this verse has been taken out of context. Anytime there's a car wreck or someone gets sick, uh, an injury, all things work together. Now, you know, all things work together for good. You know, like that's the saying that, oh, I'm sorry you lost your arm in the car wreck, but all God, for God, all things, I'm sorry you lost, uh, your, your children lost their, their mother, but you know, all things work together for good. They make it part of the will of God that God's making it for good. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is for those who are in intercession, allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you, for you, the will of God means that all things that you go through while you're seeking and praying and allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you and intercede the will of God, that even in in the midst of all the battles you go through, while you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you're praying the will of God. And in those moments when you're going through life and you're praying in tongues and you're allowing the Holy Ghost to intercede through you, for you, you can trust for you who are partnering with the Holy Spirit every day that no matter what you go through, no matter how much this mortal body fights you and resists you that all th- and punishes you, your mortal body will punish you like a spoiled child when you start to make it bow its knee to God. That you can trust and know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. That is for those who are practicing the suffering and the groaning and the praying in tongues. Verse 29. Now here we're going to get into some important verses here. Verse 29. Now keep in mind what we talked about in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. For whom he foreknew... Now he's finishing, like now he's switching gears. He's talked about salvation. He's talked about the suffering against the mortal body and the job of mortifying the deeds of the flesh. He's talked about the Holy Spirit helping you with the mortifying of the deeds of the body, interceding for you. Now he switched gears and he said, and he's talking about those who, who died before Jesus. For whom he foreknew... This is the Old Testament. Everyone in paradise, the Old Testament saints, this is Adam, Noah, this is everyone before Jesus. For whom he foreknew, and he's trying to tell us, he didn't leave them behind. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. 
So the word predestined has been slaughtered, that, that God predestines people. So why even pray because God's predestined who gets saved? This verse has been slaughtered. And really in context, when you see what we've talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, in 1 Thessalonians, when you see all these verses that we've talked about, then you'll see that who he's talking about here, the predestined, are not, it doesn't mean predestined like I predestined who gets saved. It means those who he knew, he predesigned a plan for them to not miss out on the resurrection of the dead. For whom he foreknew, those before Jesus, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I love that because you know, this whole series is on transformation. That's a metamorphosis. That's a process. That's not instant. Here it says that those who he predestined, those who were already dead before Jesus, he has predestined a plan for them to be instantly conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So from Jesus, when he was glorified, he was the first fruit of those who came before him. And that's who he's talking about here. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So they were pre-designed. The plan was already set for them also to be conformed into the new body that you're going to receive. Uh, The image of a son. To be saved and to be conformed to the new body. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. So he's talking about Noah, Abraham. He's talking about the Gentiles who qualified and who were in paradise. Moreover, whom he predestined, predestinated, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. That simply means that he had made the whole plan for them that even though they had faith in Jesus coming, in a Savior coming, they had to wait. So he not only pre-designed, he called them and he justified them, meaning that he made a way for them to justly be born again without accepting Jesus because Jesus had not come yet. He justified and those he justified, he also glorified. They already received their new eternal body, their glorified body, their spiritual outward body. They have it now already. Uh, Their celestial body, they have it now already. That was in the plan. That was pre-designed in the plan for the Old Testament believers. So many have slaughtered these verses. In context, it's to bring hope to you that he has had a plan from the beginning to rescue anyone who will will accept that a Savior is coming, who never gave up on God. No matter what dispensation they were born in, he had a plan for every dispensation, for every generation, to find salvation if they wanted to, even those who were born before Jesus. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who could be against us? If God has thought out all of these details and worked out this plan to perfection, who can be against us? Who's going to stop us from finishing the work? Who's going to stop us from making it to heaven? Who's going to take us off track? 
For then shall we say to these things, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Talking about you're going to spend eternity with God in a new body. You can't earn it. You don't have to worry if you're going to qualify for it. If you're born again, the new nature is what makes you righteous. It's what makes you a child of God, not your works, not your good deeds. It's that you have the new nature in you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who may also makes intercession for us. How amazing we see here the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. Jesus Christ himself intercedes for you. Why, what are you so worried about? you got the Holy Spirit and Jesus praying for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now I want you to see here the message, the message of hope here. You get in a new outward body, He's designed the whole for all of his children to get their outward body to win. You are part of a winning family, a winning plan. You're part of the winning team. You know those teams of sports that win all the time? You're on that team. He didn't put you on the lower team. You're on the winning team. You're on the championship team. You're already won. It's already set if you stay on the team. Because he says here, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? I always thought, yeah, that's right, God's love. He'll never stop loving me. He's going to love me forever. But that's not what it says here. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Who has the power to force you to walk away from His love? Because it tells you, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? So it says here that these things come, tribulation, nakedness, distress, persecution, they come to separate you from the love of Christ. Well, Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of God, seated right now, making intercession for you, by the way. So the tribulation, the persecution, the the nakedness, the, the famine, that's not coming against Jesus. That's coming against you. This is the battle the enemy comes against you with to try to separate you, to give up hope, and to walk away from your calling, to walk away from your your salvation even. And the message here, the picture he paints in Romans 8 about the full, the fullness of salvation from your new birth all the way to receiving the glorified body, is to bring hope that even in the tribulation, what kind of tribulation? Well, the tribulation you receive every day, the distress, here, look at these words, persecution, famine, or nakedness. Now, these are in your Bible. You know how how little these words are used in our Christianese or Christian language today? We hear a lot of blessing and prosperity and anointing and, and gifts. But these words are also in your Bible. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or the sword. And what Paul is saying here is that even those things that come against you to try to separate you from the love of Christ, they're attempting to get you to give up on obeying God, on growing in God, on following God. 
Who shall separate us? Who has the power to separate us from the love of Christ? None of it does. Only you do. Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, in all this battle, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these attacks, these weapons of the enemy, the designs of the enemy, the discouragement of the outward man, the outward body, the desires to pull you away from God, they don't have the power to separate you from the love of Jesus. He's thought about everything. He's designed everything. God has made a plan from the moment you were saved to get you into heaven. And the secret was the new nature, that spirit of Christ in you. That's what qualifies you. That's what makes you righteous. Your good works, they do not make you righteous. The plan has already been set. And God is so smart, he made a plan for even those who were predestined already before him, those who he foreknew, he predestined a plan for them also to receive their new glorified body. You also are going to receive your glorified body like they did. For the rest of eternity, you'll have no more struggle. So take advantage of this life and do your suffering now. Because in eternity, you won't have to struggle. This is your only opportunity. This season of your existence. The smallest season of your full existence. Because after this life, you will have no more struggle, no more battle. So this is the only moment of your existence that you have to prove that you believe in Jesus. That you have to fight against the outward man. That you have to grow and mature. This is your only season to really earn rewards. To really grow in God. Because after this life... It's going to happen automatically. You will be completely free of any suffering, of any battle, of any struggle against the natural man. So this is your season to fight. This is your moment to grow. Don't wait. Don't wait till you get to heaven to worship God. Don't wait until you get to eternity to feel free. Do it now. Walk in all that God has for you. Well, how do we do that? The key here is allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you, intercede for you, the perfect will of God, and you will always win. Hope I've encouraged you today. We are on a great path of victory, and I'm so blessed to be walking with you into all that God has for us. God bless you, and thank you for spending time with me.